Great. Great to see everyone. Just great to be back. Oh, I just love the worship. I nearly lost my voice singing too loud. I'm just going to watch it. <laughs> I get too excited. How many know it's in your spirit you worship God? You know, you make a decision that you're going to give yourself to Him. You'll be surprised as you give yourself how the flow comes. You don't want to stop. So I've been praying and thinking about where to go for just ministry on Sunday mornings and, and I felt I'd start a series called Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And uh, this will, uh, I want to speak primarily from the book of Revelation but we're going to open up some other aspects and I want to encourage you to let God talk to you and bring a revelation to your own heart of who this Jesus is. The Bible's full of Jesus, it's a great revelation of Jesus so I'm going to confine myself to three aspects of who he is. And one of the works of the Holy Spirit is to make real Jesus to us. In John 16, Jesus said, the Spirit of God will take the things that are mine and reveal them to you. So even though I teach you today, you can walk out totally unchanged. You can just have another great message. That was nice. What do I do next? I'm going to have a Maccas. You see, or we can ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our heart. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart, the revelation changes us. So what I want to do is give an introduction today and just open it out. And then in the next three weeks, I want to open up three different aspects of who Jesus is and encourage you to think how to, to let the Holy Spirit bring revelation to you along these areas. Some of you may only know Jesus in one kind of way. Some of you may know him in a different way. We've all got aspects of him. But here's the key foundational conflict that will be in the end times, it's over the person of Jesus Christ. It's not which church you go to, it's not what doctrine so much, it's who is Jesus. This is the great controversy that will be in the world and will become increasingly an issue globally. And I'll show you why shortly, because we will see as we look into the book of Revelation how Jesus will trigger off a global war and how he will actually, and the issue will be who is he and how will we respond to him? So I want to just go and have a look. Start off in, in first of all, in Matthew chapter 16. Because the Bible tells us that we all have a race to run and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So what does he look like and how do I keep my eyes on him? Those are good questions to ask. Do you know how to keep your eyes on him? Or do you get caught up with everyone and everything else? Caught up with this one's things and that one's things, offenses, anxieties, worries. Or have you learned how to run your life keeping fixed on Jesus. We're going to help you to do that and give you some practical keys over the series. But let's just start here in uh, Matthew chapter 16, one you're very familiar with. <clears throat> Jesus uh, in Matthew 16 and let's find a verse 13. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And some say, John the Baptist. Some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said, who do you say I am? I would love to be able to just sit with each of you and ask you this question. Who do you say Jesus is? What revelation do you have of him? That's very important because the way you see Jesus will determine how you relate with him. It will determine how you run your life. And I'm absolutely convinced of this that the revelation you have of Jesus currently, if you'll be open to the Holy Spirit, he will increase the knowledge of who he is. He is like a diamond with many facets. You just can't come along and think, well, I just know who he is. He, just, he died on the cross for my sins. There's much more than that. 
we want to open up some of that. Now, this uh, challenge took place in Caesarea. It's the center uh, of uh, the Roman Empire in Palestine, so it's situated right there at the foot of the Golan Heights, and it was a place where there was worship of Pan, a half goat, half man. It was a place of idolatry, a place of emperor worship. It was a place where there was conflict uh, that, uh, over who Jesus was. And Jesus asked the question, who do men say I am? And so they, uh, they begin to say, well, some say Elijah. Now, why Elijah? Because Elijah was full of passion and prayer. Confronted controlling spirits and idolatry. And some say, well, he's John the Baptist returned from the dead. Why? Because John was a fiery preacher who preached repentance. So I thought that looks just like John was. And then some say Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet of great compassion who wept over the nation and its, and its, its difficulties. So people picked up different impressions about what Jesus was like. But they likened him to people they knew. Someone passionate. That must have seen him preach passionately. Someone compassionate. Someone who was fiery in confrontation. Those are the things they saw in him. We get a weak, wissy-wassy, watered-down Jesus. You need to know that he's passionate, fiery, and I want to show you some aspects of him. So Jesus then put the question, well, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And notice what he says. You are the anointed one, the Son of the living God. Not a dead God, you're the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, you didn't figure this out by being smart or going to a message you got this by revelation of the Holy Ghost. Now, if you're going to know Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit. If we don't know how to commune with the Holy Spirit, listen to the Holy Spirit, let Him speak to us, how will we ever get to know Jesus? Because that's the Holy Spirit's job description. Reveal Him to us. So, we'll touch on that a bit more. So let's go now and have a look into Revelations. Book of Revelations, a great book. Now, most people look at the book of Revelations, they get caught up with beasts and antichrists and marks and numbers, and overall, very negative. And this, of course, is not the focus of the book of Revelation. It's included in it, but it's not the focus of it by any means. Let's have a look in, oh, look at that, the book of Revelation. Here it is, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 1. Thank you, Sergeant. I kind of got far too much stuff in my Bible at the moment. (laughs) Here it is. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's the book of Revelation about? It's about? It's about? It's about? Not the Antichrist and the beast and the tribulation, all the other stuff and marks and stuff like that. It is about Jesus Christ. You get it right. It's about Jesus. Now what is it about Jesus? It's about the person of Jesus, who He is and what He's like. It's about His purpose and how He's going to unfold it step by step by step. And it's about His plan for us and the part we would pray in it. In Revelations 1, 2, and 3, where it talks about the churches, there's at least 24 different descriptions of what Jesus is like. You could just go through the first three chapters and have a look where Jesus reveals himself and begin to get an idea what he's like. Now, here's the thing. If you don't know what he's like, how can you relate to him and know him? To know him or to become intimate with him is to get to know who he is, not someone else's idea of him. And that requires the Holy Spirit to help us. So the book of Revelation is the revealing or unveiling of Jesus Christ and his plan for the church. Not to run away, not to be caught out of it all, but to bring the grace and the glory and the goodness of God to all nations in the earth. I don't know if you've read the book, 
that the last part of the book is very clear, that all of the nations will walk in the light of the church, the house of the living God. This is a great, this is a great book to read. Not only look, look what it says here. It says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servants things which must take place shortly. And he sent and signified this by his angel to his servant, John. Now notice what it says. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things. Notice it says, there is a blessing if you will read the book of Revelation, even if you don't understand it all, you just, you'll, there'll be some things you can understand and respond to. And this is what he said, if you, hear, if you read it, hear it in your heart and respond to it, you'll be blessed. It's the only book in the Bible that says you'll be blessed if you read that one. Why? Because it's important to the end times, it's important to us in this day. Notice what it says in verse 7. Look at this. Behold, he is coming in the, with the clouds and every eye shall see him. So what Jesus is about to do in the end time, it's not going to be hidden away or a secret thing in a building down on Mahu Road. It'll be something global. Every eye shall see him. So what Jesus is planning to do is to impact all nations, all people, the whole world. You are part of a global ministry. And you are called, each of us are called to play our part. Now, notice this. What will our part be? Well, I'm not going to go into this aspect. I want to focus on Jesus. But have a look in Revelations 5.10. It says, You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and made us kings and priests to our God. Now here it is, verse 10. And we shall reign on earth. We shall reign on earth. Now notice what it's telling us. That what God, the book of Revelation reveals who Jesus is it's in a scale that will affect the whole of the world and there's a vital part we play in it. Now, you have to get your thinking right. Otherwise, you withdraw from our great call, our great commission to change the world. Not retreat from the world, but to change the world one soul at a time. One soul at a time, one life at a time. Change this world. So I want to show you three aspects in Revelation 19 of Jesus, who he is and what he's like, and then we'll unfold each one, how it works out. We're going to ask the kind of questions like this. Who is this Jesus? What does he do or what are his characteristics? And how do I need to respond? In other words, great thing to know, but you know, the devils know about Jesus too. They just tremble and go to hell. So knowing the stuff doesn't do you any good. It's how you respond. So at the end of the meetings, I'll give you an opportunity to think, Holy Ghost, what did you say to me? How should I respond? What are you telling me to do? Any idea? Okay, let's have a look in Revelations chapter 19. Now, a lot of stuff in Revelations I don't understand at all. And I've seen charts and tables and all kinds of things, and one after that all prove wrong. So I think there are many things, though, that we can know and we should act on if we know them. So let's have a look at three ways that God reveals, or Jesus is revealed in the book of Revelation. So Revelation chapter 19, and here it is in verse 6 through to verse 9. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Oh, that's a great sound, isn't it? Let us be glad and rejoice. Now it's involving us. And give glory to Him. Why? Why should we be glad and rejoice? Because the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife 
has made herself ready. And to her was granted she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And blessed are those called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here is the first picture of Jesus, and I'll unfold it next week in greater detail. He is presented as the bridegroom. So one facet of Jesus is he is a bridegroom. Now, I want you to think about it. Look at that. Paper falling everywhere. I'm having a shower this morning of notes. Thank you, Sergeant. I should have shaken it out before I came. Notice it says it talks about a marriage that has not yet taken place. It talks about a feast that's not taken place. It talks about a bride. So if we just take the picture out of there, this is how Jesus presents himself. He is a passionate bridegroom who loves you. That's the first thing to know about him. Now, he doesn't just love you. See, a lot of people stop there. He is a groom. Now, uh, you, each one of us, uh, have different aspects to our life. For example, I am to uh, two people a son. But I'm also to someone else a husband. And I'm to some others a father. And to some others a grandfather. And to others a teacher. And to others a minister of God. So I am known in the world to different people in a number of different ways. And all of those ways are right, but it's only when you bring them together you see who I am. So it's when we bring together the pictures of Jesus that we get the proper picture of him. And you'll see, if you only got one aspect of him, you get a distorted view of Jesus and it will affect how you live your life and represent him. Think about that. See, if someone only knew me as a teacher, they'd have no idea of the whole sphere of life I have as the global minister of God. They'd have no idea at all. So they say, oh, well, he just taught physics and maths. That's what he did. And he was quite good at teaching physics. We did pretty well. But their, their concept is completely limited. So if they had to tell someone about me, they wouldn't even really tell them half the story. They'd be missing out 20, 30 years. Do you understand that? That's why I need all the facets of it. So the first thing to see is he is a passionate bridegroom. Now, I'm going to use the word bridegroom rather than he loves, just that he loves us. It's we need to get up above that. He is a groom. Now, here's some things about the groom. Now, in, from the Bible perspective, the number one, he pursues us. You didn't suddenly have a good idea to come to Jesus. He sent the Holy Spirit to activate some people to pray for you and pursue you. So the first thing about Jesus, he pursues people. Why does he pursue people? Because he's passionately in love with us. And he just puts his love into action, came out of heaven, came into the earth, and then he began to pursue people. Not only does he pursue us, he initiates a unique kind of relationship called covenant. That's why you need to know him as a groom, not just Jesus, your Savior. He is a bridegroom. A groom is a person who initiates covenant with a woman. Understand that uh, we've got a great couple over there. Kiss and Steve, you're going to be getting married in about a week. Is that right? And who proposed to who? You proposed to a good man. See? I wonder why he did that. Because it's biblical. For the man to initiate connection, relationship, and pursue with love the woman. Why? To bring her into a covenant relationship with himself. God has got no casual relationships. He just has what's called covenant. 
So you either are a keeper of covenant, you either are in covenant with God through receiving Christ as your Saviour and the lover of your soul, or you're not in covenant with Him, you're not connected to Him. If you are in covenant with Christ, which most of us here are, then the issue really is, are you a covenant keeper with God or are you an adulterer with God? Well, there's only one or two, isn't it? We either are covenant keepers and understand what it means to keep covenant with him as the groom or we're an adulterer. There's no in between in it. Think about that. Jesus said uh, in the book of James, the word of God comes out, you, he said, you are friends of the world, you are adulterers and you find yourself in hostility with the one who covenanted with you to love you. See, the relationship God has with us, he is a jealous lover. Now, I don't know with you, but there was a time and I was going through a very difficult stage in my relationship with Joy at university and she broke off with me and she started to date someone in the same class. I won't spend much time describing how I felt. <laughs> but I do understand jealous lover. And all the feelings that go with jealousy over someone. Eh? A jealous lover. So the Bible portrays Jesus as jealous. He's jealous over you. Paul writes of it in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, oh, I've espoused you. I've engaged you to him and I'm jealous over you. I want you to be in intimacy with Him and faithful to Him and in love with Him and walk with Him and have a covenant with Him and represent Him as husband and wife on the earth. So the church is called the Bride of Christ. And we become the Bride of Christ by entering covenant and by keeping covenant. So, not only that, in order for us to become the Bride, He has to rescue us. Now, everyone loves a story where the woman is being trapped or captured or or, or kidnapped, and the man comes and rescues her. I love stories. Oh, that's a great story like that. I saw a movie called Taken. Oh, I enjoyed that movie. The guy's daughter got taken by these traffickers, and the guy with an unusual set of skills got her back. Oh, it was gripping. It was a gripping story. But there's something in us loves that kind of story. You know, the fairy story is all full of it. It's about the woman being rescued by the man. What It resonates with our heart because God came to earth in the person of Jesus to rescue us. Save us by beating up that old devil and paying the price of the redemption and getting us free. What a great story. He's a lover of our soul. So the question is, how will I respond to his love? We love him because he first loved us. So love is your response so we need the Holy Spirit to reveal the depth of Jesus' love for us. And the first way he reveals himself is the lover of your soul. But wait, there's more, as they say. <laughs> wait, there's more. So here's the second one, Revelations 19. Let's go again. And uh, we'll read verse 11 through to 16. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. So he's in the Spirit having the same vision, but he's seeing it develop and seeing other aspects of Jesus. 
And he who sat on him is called Faithful and True. Righteousness, he judges and makes war. Notice that, judges and makes war. And his eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a clothed robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. We know it's Jesus. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen and white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth went a sharp sword, the words that he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them, the nations with a rod of iron. And he himself treads out the, right, the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So here is the second one. The second thing you see is, he is a sovereign king. Now you may not think Jesus is a sovereign king because you don't see it. You see instead... A world where the devil still runs amok in people's lives, where sin goes unchallenged many times, and we don't appear to see the sovereignty of God. But nevertheless, Jesus is sovereign. He said, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. There's no one greater than me. When he was on the earth, he demonstrated that sovereignty. So here's another way we should recognize Jesus is a king. And now, you relate to a king different to a husband. If you only know Jesus as someone who likes you or loves you or died on the cross for your sins, we just come away every time you feel you're sorry for your sins and ask Him to forgive you. But if you know Him as a groom, then intimacy, connection, relationship, hearing Him is everything. But now to be revealed that Jesus is also a king. Now that means I have to understand this is not a democracy I've been put in. I've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of his beloved son. I'm now in a kingdom with a king, a servant king, but nevertheless a king. And a king has a will. A king has rules and principles that governs his kingdom. A kingdom gives direct, a king gives directives and the king has a desire to advance his kingdom. Jesus' message was the kingdom. So he demonstrated a sovereign power. Think of all the different ways he demonstrated. We'll touch on some of them later. But here it is. He healed the sick. He delivered people. He raised the dead. He calmed the storms. He spoke to, uh, to trees and they died. He demonstrated complete sovereignty over all creation. And so he is a king. And that requires you relate differently. Now most of us come in and we think like this. We're used to a democracy and so, well, we, can, we just sort of argue with God over stuff. He's king and his word is final. The question is whether you'll relate to him as a king or not. And to relate to him as a king means I need to yield to his design for my life in every area, finances, marriage, personal life. I need to discover what he's designed me to be and to do and then begin to cooperate with it and align with it. Otherwise, I'm operating out of the kingdom of darkness, not in the kingdom of his son. And I can only find that by the Word of God. Now for me, the revelation that Jesus was king came when one person preached a message on the kingdom of God. I've looked at the message since. It looked so shallow and empty. I don't know how I got anything out of it. But on that moment, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that this king has authority and I needed to bow the knee. And from that point, everything in my life began to shift because revelation of a kingdom. And then it began to unfold as time went by, and a king. So you and I can come to Jesus, and he's intimate and loves us. We come to him as the husband who loves us, but we also need to come to him as the one 
who has a purpose, a destiny, direction for us, and he wants to direct your life. And the question is whether you yield, whether we will yield, whether we will respond. And one of the issues of responding is recognizing his authority in different spheres of our life. So he's a king. Okay, there, here's the last one. And here it is. We've already seen it. We'll read the same verses. And it says, he judges and makes war. Well, that's a bit tough, isn't it? Because we like gentle Jesus. He's lovely and he's sweet and he loves us and forgives our sins. We come to church and, and half-heartedly saying we go home and run our life the way we want and that's it. I'm sorry, that is not it. Because he is a judge. God has appointed to him to judge all the earth. He is a just judge. So we see him... He's the passionate lover, he's the sovereign king, and he is a just judge. Now, what does that mean that he judges? It means that whatever's unfair in the world, he's going to sort it out. It means wherever there's wrong government, he's going to displace it and put in his own righteous government. It means that wherever there's been crime and sin and things have gone wrong, he's going to intervene and bring judgment on it, and that judgment sometimes means people die. Because many would rather die than bow the knee to Jesus. Now, he may have come as a servant, a shepherd, a lover of our soul and demonstrated his kingdom. But when he comes next time, he's coming in power. He's coming in glory and he's coming to judge the earth. Nothing surer. So when we look at the tribulation and all the things that are in there that look so horrible, guess who's responsible for all of that? It's Jesus and the saints triggered off by their praying. He is going to introduce something that will affect the whole globe and disrupt everything as we know it. You have to understand that, that he is a judge. He judges the intents of hearts. He judges our actions and he calls us to account. That's what it means. He calls us to account. Here's the good side of it. He rewards those who labor and serve him. Here's the downside of it. He also calls us to be responsible for what we've done with our life and gifts. And not only that, if we're not saved, he will bring us into judgment. Now, we see, this is a struggle the church is having globally because it doesn't want to talk about hell. Hell is a real place and people do go there, have gone there, are going there, will go there. It's a real place. We should not negate or minimize that something in all of us wants justice. Now, we often get it wrong in the way we do it in our spirit, but he is a righteous judge who's able to sort this whole thing out. So he is going to be the, he is the judge of the whole earth. So if I was to relate to him as a judge, what does that mean? It means he is going to treat me fairly. He's going to treat me fairly. He's going to honor me and value me and reward me for my labors and services, even if no one noticed and I was treated unjustly. I don't have to worry about all the injustices in my world. I just need to let him go because he can sort it out. He's the just judge. What I need to do is to learn how to lean on him and trust him. I need to learn how to be faithful. I need to learn how to open my life and allow him to inspect my life regularly and call me to account. Now, a lot of Christians hate this. They, they struggle with being called to account for their behavior, their words, their actions. Better to be called to account by someone you can see now and deal with the problem than wait and suffer significant consequences over your life by not doing that. It's better we welcome someone to speak into our life than we resist all attempts to correct us. Why? 
because the Bible's clear. All of us will give account. And no one escapes. Not one. I think that's great news. That's great news. That is great news. Now, you see, most people get caught up with the heavy side. They think, oh, oh, oh what's going to happen to me? Hey, I don't have to worry about that. I'm in love with him. I'm yielding to him. I'm walking. I don't have to be worried about what will happen. I'm looking forward to the reward. It's those who are sinning that have got a problem. They don't want me to be worried. But, you see, he's not just the judge. He's the lover of our soul and he'll rescue us. So, you see, you start to get all three put together. Now, Jesus himself taught this. John taught this. See, you think about Matthew 25. Jesus taught the parable of the groom and the virgins. He taught following that the parable of the king and the kingdom and the servants. And then he taught following that he was the judge of the whole earth that called the nations to give account. So Jesus himself taught that he fills each of these roles. A bridegroom and a pursuer of your soul to rescue you, redeem you, love you, forgive you, bring you into intimacy, make you clean, present you to himself a wonderful person. He's also the king. So he calls us to grow up, align, begin to find a place of function and serving. And if we fail and fall, he's the lover of my soul. And he calls us to be accountable with our life, our words, our actions, our behaviours, because one day we will all have to give account. But if I fail, he's still the lover of my soul and I can come to him as the lover of my soul. So all three things bring a great balance in your life. He loves, forgives, uh, blesses, he pursues, he, he won't ever let me go, he, he will do all he can to get me where he wants me to get, but he's also got a kingdom that I, I won't bend, I've got to bend. It's my knee that has to bow, not his one. See? And then he's going to call my life into account in some kind of ways. So better to become accountable now. That's why the Holy Spirit's given to us. Why? It's really simple. The Holy Ghost wants to reveal how much you are loved and Jesus is your lover. Two, that there is a kingdom and it's time to get a line, not just so that you come under his direction, but so you can bring his kingdom into the earth, miracles, signs and wonders and bringing the presence of God to people. You can't minister that power unless you submit to the king. And then finally, he wants us to be accountable, to open our life so we allow people to speak in, we allow the Holy Spirit to speak in and we become safe. That's how you become safe. So here's the questions to finish. Here's the thing. Here's the thing to finish with. If you only know Jesus as the lover and the bridegroom, you become sentimental and wishy-washy if you don't know him as the king and the judge. You just become sentimental. Oh, Jesus, I love you, love you. Come on, grow up. There's a kingdom to advance. That's not that that's wrong. It's just, it's absolutely out of order if that's all you've got in your revelation of Jesus. It ends up with a wishy-washy God forgives everything. God loves everyone. Everyone gets to heaven. Uh, you can sin and God will forgive you. That actually despises the Spirit of God. So that's why I need the balance of the other with it, that he's the king and there's order and there's principle and I need to give him life. So if you know him only as the king and you don't know him as the lover of your soul and the just judge, if you only know him as the king, you'll think he's authoritarian telling you what to do and you'll be in conflict with God as authoritarian God. Now, if you only know him as the judge, then you'll think that he's harsh and he's judging you and he's out to get you on everything. So many people, the revelation they have is not the biblical revelation. They've got some kind of harsh thing from their background. I had that for years, a harsh thing that was constantly sinning, constantly wrong. I was living under the spirit of judgment and I had a misconception. I had a partial thing of Jesus and I didn't see these as a lover of my soul. That's a great revelation. I didn't get that for years after I was a Christian. 
I responded to the gospel, but I had no real revelation how much he loved me. And I want to show you about that next week and how we can enter that. So here's the questions that just I want you to close your eyes and just consider right now. Let's consider right now. Here's the first question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? When you think about him, what do you think of? When you close your eyes right now, who do you say he is? What words just quickly come up to your mind right now? Thank you. See, just think. Just don't speak it out loud. Just think about it. And then ask yourself, what does that really mean to me? See? Here's another thing to think of then. What of those three aspects of Jesus that we saw today most impacted you or challenged you? The lover of your soul, the groom, the king and the kingdom, governing, ruling, authority, dominion, power, or the judge calling us to account, seeing into every aspect of our life, rewarding good, judging and dealing with those things that are wrong, bringing us into discipline in our life, so we'll be productive. So which aspect do you feel the Holy Spirit is challenging you on? The groom and your relationship with him? The king and your yielding to him? The judge and your openness to his seeing eye? Here's the question, last one. What will you do about what you just realized? the Holy Spirit speaks to you right now, what will you do about what God spoke to you today? If you're here and you're not a Christian, don't know Jesus Christ, here's what you need to do. Jesus said to everyone who received him, made him welcome, put their trust in him, he gave power to become a child of God. Jesus has been pursuing you with love for years, probably sent people into your life to invite you to church, talk to you about Jesus. But here you are right now. And I can tell you now, He loves you deeply and dearly and seeks a relationship with you. You say, well, there's too much mess in my life. Don't worry. The thing about the groom is He just loves His bride and He'll do everything He can to make her right. So here's the decision you have to make if you're not a Christian today. I will receive Jesus Christ. I will turn from living a life without God, a life of sin, life without God, I'll turn to Jesus Christ, receiving as my Savior, inviting Him to become my lover and friend. You know, uh, when they have a wedding, the bride comes down and makes a commitment. And so what I'm asking you to do is to make a commitment. Until the words are spoken, the commitment made, it's not real. There's then an engaging one with another. So here's what I'm asking you to do. If you don't know Jesus, just raise your hand and say, I want to become Christian today. Anyone here wanting to become a Christian today? Right at this point, just raise your hand quickly. Raise your hand quickly. Is there anyone here wanting to become a Christian, wanting to come to Jesus, give your life to Him? How many people today felt challenged about Jesus being the groom, a covenant lover? How many people are speaking to you about that today? Oh, that's wonderful. Forgiving you and loving you. How many people felt challenged about Jesus being a king today? He's the king. Well, that's quite a few. God bless. How many felt Jesus challenging you that he is also a judge and he calls us to account? How many felt that challenge there? Praise the Lord. Now, I won't ask how many people didn't hear the Holy Spirit speak at all. If you didn't hear the Holy Ghost speak, you've got to ask yourself this question. 
How long since I last heard God speak to me? And what was he trying to tell me? Father, we just thank you for every person here. We thank you that you are over this next month bringing an increased revelation of Jesus in all his wonder, all his beauty. We thank you that we are called to be part of a great and mighty church, part of a great kingdom, a global kingdom, a kingdom that will prevail, a kingdom that does prevail. We thank you, Lord, today for your hand on our lives. Everyone said, Amen. Come on, let's rise and just give them a clap, shall we? Let's give the King of Kings and Lord of Lords a clap. Let's shout to Him. He's our God. He's our King. We shout to you today. You're the lover of our soul. You're Almighty God. We honor you and thank you today. You're our coming King. You're the judge of the whole earth. We honor you and bless you today.